incredible. Is, every, is everybody um, catching up with the hour? Yeah, not yet, not yet. Um, Seth, Seth made a lot of coffee today um, to, to help with this. And, um, and I guess I need to apologize to him because of that joke that I did with him. Um, <clears throat> I was just uh, really trying to rib Jonathan Edwards who is single, and just saying that we are going to punish single people at the church now. That's going to be a strategy for outreach. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, I'm sorry about that, man. I did not, I didn't, I did not mean for the joke to get this far um, at all. I did not mean to, but it was, it's just a little staff banter back and forth for that. And um, so he never asked me why, though I guess I could, should have caught on. Why are we charging single people more? Yeah. Because they have more money. They don't have... Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they have more money. They can give her. They could do a little bit better than, than normal. All right. <clears throat> We're in this series called Numbered. And we've been in this for a while because I don't, I don't do them all in sequence. And there's reasons for that that you don't want to know. But this week, to kind of start this off, I did run across something that... <clears throat> excuse me. frog in my throat. I did run across something that I thought was very, very interesting. There is a person um, that was being interviewed on a news network, and uh, I, just, I just ran across this, thought it was, it, it drew me in, and this is what, this is the phrase that drew me in to actually watch the video. He could have given each American one million dollars. Now, as soon as I saw that title on the video, I was like, who? Who has that amount of money? And then I started doing math, right? Let me show you my math. You ready? If Jonathan Edwards, that means he would have one million. The Guptons, which I don't know if I spelled their name correctly, and they're not in here, so they'll never know. Uh, two million. Seth and Heather would get three million, right? And Nicole and I would get four million. Well, you know, we'd let Aurora have hers, so three. But anyway, she's still in my house, so it'd be four. The Huttons would have five million because they have five kids. I mean, they have three kids. The Yorks would get six million. Yes, because you are married. I knew this was going to happen. And you have left and cleaved. You two would get two million. And you would get to keep yours. Yeah, so that's how that works, Okay. So, so that, yeah, okay? So six million, and the Harpers who, anyway, they have, they have 10 kids plus the two adults, they would get $12 million. That's a lot of money, right? I, I'm very excited about this. Just distribute it evenly. I am for this. Just a million, just distribute it evenly. And, and that would come up to this total, $33 million. Now, those are all people within the church, Right? So $3 million at 10% is $3.3 million. We would do a parking lot and start a building program immediately. No questions asked. We just go ahead and do it. The parking lot out here, maybe another one out here, and build a building out here so we can all stay together. I need to bring it down. Oh, parking deck. Yeah. Well, if everybody got a million dollars, you know, Sky's the limit, I guess. So $33 million, $3.3 million. Well, when I clicked on it, <clears throat> see what the video is about, I became a little bit disappointed. So let me, this is what was said. 
Somebody tweeted recently that actually with the money he spent, meaning Bloomberg, he could have given every American a million dollars. So this guy that I'm making fun of now, let's put it up on the screen. So they put this up on the screen, okay? When I read it tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear, he continued. Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads, U.S. population at $327 million. Now, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American $1 million and had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it. So let me tell you what this would really turn out to be if Bloomberg gave us each a part of that $500 million. It's really sad. It'd be $1.59 per person. (laughs) So this is how it would be distributed. The Harpers would get $19.08. The Yorks would get $9.54. The Huttons would get $7.95. Nicole and I would get $6.36. Seth and Heather, $4.77. The Guptons, which I spelled correctly, $3.18. And then Jonathan, $1.59. Which totals $52.47 and at 10% is $5.24 or $5.25 depending on how you round up or round down what you give God, whatever like that. So it was very disappointing. So no parking lot, no next building, no excitement, no nothing, just that. So I'm not going to tell you who this guy was, but I suggest that he go and work for Walmart because they have great deals like this. $3.88, it was $3.88, now it's $3.98, and we rolled that back. Um, it was $1.48, but now it's $1.68 a pound. We rolled that back, right? And then right here, right outside, and, and by the way, this is in a local Walmart in the area. You, I think you would go down Farmington Road this way north, and then you would turn on I-40, and then there's an exit that, anyway... That's where it's at. Open 24 hours, seven days a week, closed between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. Friday through Sunday. Open 24 hours, seven days a week, but closed. You got it now? You you connect it? Yeah. Yeah, so they need somebody, so I'm recommending this guy that's going to give people a million dollars. Um, to Walmart. All right, that said, let's turn your Bibles to Numbers, Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 picks up, they are um, learning how to move the tabernacle, which is the temporary dwelling place of God in the wilderness. It is the prerequisite, or the, whatever it might be, I don't know that, I can't think of that word right now, to the actual temple. So this is made of cloth and stuff, and it's in the wilderness with them, and they're moving it around. And um, this is when they are actually dedicating the tabernacle as they begin to open it. So on chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. 
On the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their father's houses, who were the chiefs of the tribes, who were over those who were listed, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord. And this is what they brought. Six wagons, 12 oxen, a wagon for every two of the chiefs, and one, and one, um, and each one an ox. They brought them before the tabernacle. Now, when they rolled up, there's, this isn't here, but it is here. When they rolled up in front of the tabernacle with these um, six wagons and 12 oxen, Moses met them and wondered what in the world he would do with six wagons and 12 oxen. And because he was wondering that, that is why we have verse 4. And it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the wagon and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. The Levites are the people that keep the temple. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of um, Merari. We'll call him Merle, maybe. According to their service, and under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave none, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulders. So all the 12 tribes got together and they decided to give something to the tabernacle directed by the Lord. It was six wagons and 12 oxen. Moses took those because God told him to and he gave them to the priest, two wagons and four oxen for the Gershons, four wagons and eight oxen for the sons of Merari, and zero wagons and zero oxen for the sons of Kohath. Now you pause here a moment, and in our world we think, those poor Kohath people, they got absolutely nothing, nothing at all. And the Gershons got two wagons and four oxen, but the, but the sons of the Merai got four wagons and eight oxen. They got more than the rest of them. Why is this? Is this unfair? Why doesn't everybody get the same amount of oxen and the same amount of wagons? Why, why this difference? So when you read the text, it says this, give them according to their service to the Lord. Now the Gershons, yeah, according to their service. So the Gershons needed just two wagons and four oxen to carry the stuff that they were going to carry in the temple. And the next group needed four wagons and eight oxen so that they could carry the stuff that they needed to carry for the temple. And the sons of Kohath didn't need any oxen because they carried the stuff inside the temple, the holy things, with their shoulders. So it wasn't because someone was better than the other people that they got more oxen or less oxen, or more wagons, less wagons. It wasn't because of that. 
it was because these people were called to do a certain thing, to take down the tabernacle in a certain way and carry certain things with them to a position, and they got exactly what they needed. They got exactly what they needed. <laughs> Sorry. That's really cute. Okay, um, they got exactly, they got exactly what they needed. So two wagons was all these people needed. Um, yeah, it's all they needed. Some of them were carrying poles. The sons of um, Mariai were carrying all the cloths of the temple and they had to put it on the wagons. And then the sons of Kohath who got nothing, were carrying the holy things in the tabernacle. They were carrying that. Here's, here's something that we need to think about. Sometimes we look around and we see people that have more than we do. And you, and you, can't, you can't tell me that you have never thought this. Most of us have been to high school, so at least at high school you thought this. Um, you may have thought it later in life. You may be thinking it right now, but you look around and you see people that have more than maybe you do. And so when you see people that have more than you do, and you know that they're, let's say, Christians, and they have more than you do, and you have less, it can be very easy to slip into, if I had more, I would be able to serve the Lord better. It's easy to slip into a concept of saying, if I had more, if I had more wagons, if I had more oxen, if I had more money, if I had more stuff, I would be able to serve the Lord better because I have more stuff and I could serve him better and more effectively. That is absolutely incorrect thinking. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, you right now already have what you need to serve the Lord in the most effective way that he wants you to serve him. Whatever you have. If you have a lot of cars, a lot of, a lot of money, a house, whatever you have, you have exactly what God has given you to serve him with. If you do not have that, if you look around and I don't have the latest, I don't have the latest this, I don't have the latest that, I don't have the best car. My car is from 1990. My, my, my house is from the 1970s. I, you don't have this, you don't have that, you wish you had more. I want to draw that back in and tell you, you have exactly what you need to serve the Lord according to the way that he designed you to serve. You already have it. We often rate people in their value according to what they have and what they don't have. I want to submit to you this morning that it's the people that have the least in the kingdom of God that are the greatest. I am not the first person to say that. Jesus is the first person to say that. The people who have the least are the greatest. This right here is a picture of that. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's more honorable? I have to be careful here, but you need to follow me. Do you think it'd be more honorable to carry the actual cloths of the temple on a wagon or to be one of the people that actually carried the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders? 
Do you think it would be more valuable to take down all the poles and put all the poles on a wagon and have your oxen on the cart and, and go that way? Or would it be more honorable for you not to have any wagons at all, but you're carrying the lamp post? You're carrying the table of showbread. You're carrying the different aspects of the temple that are holy. You see, the sons of Kohath are carrying the stuff of the temple that is holy. And out of everything in that temple, those, that's the most important things in the temple. We can do without the poles, we can do without the cloths, we can move them somewhere else, but the Ark of the Covenant, there's only one, and the lamp post, there's only one, and the table of showbread, there's only one, and you have to carry that on your shoulders, and even though you have less, you have the most honored position of service. Are you tracking? Are you tracking? God is so serious about this that when King David later in history decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, the Ark was being brought back on a wagon. The wagon hit a rock or hit something and there's this guy named Uzziah who tried to keep the Ark from falling off the wagon. Which, I mean, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? Not let the ark fall on the ground? Wouldn't that be a good thing to do? But as soon as he touched the ark, he died because they were transporting the ark incorrectly. It was not supposed to be put on a wagon. It was supposed to be on the shoulders of the sons of Kohath. Sometimes we think because we don't have a lot, we are not very valuable to God. And I want to submit to you this morning that it's the people that don't have a lot that are carrying on their shoulders the very presence of God. I would submit to you this morning that a lot of people that have a lot do not depend on God like people who do not have a lot. I would submit to you this morning that people that are praying that God would supply their needs on a daily basis might pray more than people who don't have to worry about those needs. I know, I know, but there is something, there is something to not having something, and there's something about people that don't have a lot where they pray more. I've seen this, I've seen this in my ministry, I have, and it's not just with money, it's with situations. I've seen people go from having what they would consider to be perfection in, in their environment, to something happens and the environment is broken apart. And I've seen those people transition into a prayer time with God, asking him to help them through their particular situation, begging on their knees for him to help them in that situation. And daily they see him helping, him, helping them and strengthening them through that situation. And they grow in faith a faith that is stronger than I have. Do you know those people? Do you know those people in, in your life that have struggled with cancer but you may never have, but they have and you see a faith in them that you know that you cannot match? 
Have you seen a family go through something and they're broken apart and then, and then maybe that family comes back together and you look at these people and you say, hey, those are people that have a faith that I cannot, I cannot match that amount of faith that they have. And it's because of what they've gone through. When you go through a struggle, it is the moment that your faith increases. When you do not have something that you need, it's when your faith increases. And when you finally get to the place where you realize that God has already given you everything that you need for the moment and you have faith that he's already given you what you need is the moment that you take a leap of faith to saying God is control, he's given me what I need and I can get through this. Amen? And it doesn't matter if I have four wagons and eight oxen. It doesn't matter if I have two, two uh, wagons, uh, whatever, two wagons and maybe I should work for Walmart, two wagons and four oxen. What matters is that I have shoulders that are available for God to use. And I am going to use my shoulders right now for him to the best of my ability. And I'm going to walk and shine his light to the world. Aren't you glad that really what you... What you have doesn't depend upon you. What you have depends upon God. And when God gives it to you, you're supposed to be responsible with it. So God has given you exactly what you need to carry out the mission he has called you to do. 12 years ago, when I came to this church, um, I left a lot. (laughs) I left a lot. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure how in the world I, thinking thinking seriously, how I was going to make it work. I didn't know how I was going to make it work. I came from a church that had a lot. They live in a community where there's just a lot of people, and um, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying, this is not a negative. I'm just trying to give you a, a situation. It's a, it's, a, it's a church where if a do- doorknob needed to be fixed, there was money put toward it. Like somebody walked in and it was just money. There was money. Money and stuff and the latest gadgets and whatever you needed to do ministry, you had it at your disposal. We had a summer spectacular where we built actual rooms where the kids went inside each one of the rooms and they experienced the Bible stories. And those rooms, I have pictures of them, were absolutely incredible. Waves and we parted the Red Sea. I mean, it was, it was absolutely incredible, all real stuff. There was a, just a lot of stuff that that church had that you could use for ministry. You came to Farmington of 45 people and all of a sudden, you didn't have the money you used to have. You didn't have the stuff you used to have. You didn't have anything you used to have. And it took me about two weeks, which is really quick for me, by the way. It took me two weeks to realize that God had already given us what we needed to do the ministry at Farmington Baptist Church. And once you start looking at ministry that way, we already have what we need to get to where we need to go. Once you start thinking in that direction, you begin to rely on the Lord for things. And then you start to see that it's not money that makes the church go around. Go around. It's not the glamour that makes the church go around. It's not... It's not all this other stuff that we need, like, like a big music 
you know, I love worship music, but it's not all this stuff on stage that makes the church go around and exist. It is Jesus Christ that makes the church alive and exist and move. And once you get to the point where you say, hey, God's already sent me who I need. God has already sent to Farmington Baptist Church what he needs to do what he wants to do. At that moment is when you realize, let's do it. This person is not as gifted as the people that I've, I've worked with before, but hey, this is the person that God, is, that God has sent here, and this is the person that he's going to use, and this is the person that is going to be used in their weakness. I think sometimes we forget that God doesn't really use the strong, he uses the weak to show his power, to show his magnificent, magnificence, to show who he is. He uses the people who you think he would never use in a million years and he places on their shoulders the ark of the presence of God and amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. So through the course of history here, as, as we've grown and as we've, we've gotten to what we are today, it is only because God has put with us exactly who we need here at the time, what we need here at the time to take us to where he wants us to go. It has always been that way. It has always been the way. It is really not... I have to be careful saying this. It is really not, okay, I'll say it this way. It's really not Philip Brand. It's really not me. It's really not. It's God using what he sent us to take us to where we need to go. I have to use what God has given me and place the ark on my shoulders you have to get, use what God has already given you and place the ark on your shoulders. We are the bearers of the presence of a holy God. Every one of us. Every one of us. Use exactly what God has given you to do ministry. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, there are rewards in heaven. There are rewards in heaven. The greatest people that you can think of right now will not have as many rewards in heaven as you might think. We are going to be shocked at the faithfulness of some people that we didn't think were that faithful and the amount of rewards that they get from God in heaven because of their faithfulness. Scripture is very clear Uh, The first shall become last, and the last shall become first. It is the way it is. So you and I just have to be faithful with what we have so that one day we can get rewards in heaven that we actually don't keep. We actually lay them at Jesus' feet, and we say thank you, and we leave them there. So we receive, and then we give them right back to him. So there's rewards in heaven. The second thing about this, which is more now, is don't allow what others have to prevent you from doing what you need to do. 
We get sidetracked on what this church have, what this person has, what talents this person is, and I can never live up to that potential. I would submit to you that if you have that type of thinking to where you can't live up to that potential, you need to start thinking, I don't need to live down to that potential. The reason is God has designed you to be this and designed them to be this and you need to let them be who they are and you need to be who you are and go at it with 110% for the glory of God the Father. Do not allow other people and their spectacularness to prevent you from doing ministry, to prevent you from witnessing to your neighbor, to prevent you from giving the gospel, to prevent you from working with the children, to prevent you from working anywhere in this church or doing ministry of any type or whatever. Do not let that prevent you from doing ministry. God uses people that he has saved with the talents that he has already given to them. That's what he does. Don't let your delusions of grandeur prevent you from serving God exactly right now with who you are. So, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth... Who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And you cannot serve God and money. If you were given a million dollars right now, what would you do with it? I will tell you what you will do with it. It is the exact same thing that you will do with a dollar and 59 cents. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Let's pray. 